Aerospace Unplugged. Hello, and welcome to Aerospace Unplugged, a podcast dedicated to giving our listeners a behind-the-scenes look into all things aerospace. I'm your host, Carrie Sinclair, and today's episode provides a glance into the near future with urban air mobility. In season one, we talked about urban air mobility and why hybrid electric engines are important, along with safety measures that are being considered for the market. So today we're going to give you an update in this exciting new and fast-paced industry to see what it truly takes to make this idea fly. And joining me today is Stefan Fima, Vice President and General Manager for the Unmanned Aerial Systems and Urban Air Mobility Business. Stefan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kara. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. You had an extensive role with Honeywell before joining the urban air mobility sector. Can you just run down your, your experience in the industry and your experience at Honeywell and how you ended up where you are today? Um, sure. So, so my career um, started like, like probably many other people in the, in the aerospace field. I originally got my, my engineering degree in, in aerospace and mechanical engineering, uh, but I also um, got a minor in computer science um, and, and psychology. And uh, I didn't know it back then, but that was probably the very beginning of what sort of laid the groundwork for, for where I'm at today and, and the role that I have. Um, I then worked as an engineer in a large aerospace company, went on to get my business degree. And, and thereafter, I, my time, my career, my professional career has been split, you know, let's say roughly 50-50 between working in pure software companies um, and working in aerospace. And in those software companies, it was both startups, private equity backed companies, as well as large, uh, you know, big Fortune 500 companies. And um, in, in the aerospace field, it was also you know large companies, and and I had my own startup uh, for a while, also in the in the aerospace field, working in 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 an area that was you know very much aligned with this um, you know several years ago. And when I joined Honeywell, um, I actually joined the Bendix King division, where we were focused on avionics for general aviation, and you know there we were sort of driving we were driving some of the directions around. You know, how do you simplify the act of piloting aircraft? How do you have better connectivity between the aircraft and the people in the aircraft and, you know, the people on the ground? And all those things sort of like paved the way. And so I've now been in this role for about three months and um, this is fantastic. Well, great. Thanks. So let's just dive in. And I'd like to start with urban air mobility has been such a hot topic in the market. What excites you most about it and why? So on a, um, on, on a personal note, you know, I, I love the idea of being able to be where, wherever I, I need to be, whenever I want to be there. And so the idea of urban air mobility really sort of resonates with me. On a, on a business level, urban air mobility represents the next big disruption in aerospace. And you know, where there's disruption, there's the opportunity to create a great business. And so that, that's really, really exciting uh, for me. Okay, before we get started, let's just ground ourselves. What do you consider you urban air mobility to be? So urban air mobility, that, that's interesting. The, um, there is both sort of a narrow definition and a broad definition. The, the, the narrow definition is you know, moving people inside a metro area um, using aerial vehicles, such as for commuting to work, getting to the airport or, or something like this. You know, I, I, I hail my 
my my taxi share ride or my ride sharing vehicle with my my phone and now all of a sudden i you know i get into a car and then i get into an aerial vehicle and then i get to where i have to go there's a a a broader use of the term that is that is developing in the industry uh which encompasses people moving both you know in urban environments you know where the name urban air mobility comes from as well as in regional areas um so for example you know you have to go from phoenix to tucson right and you could spend an hour and a half in the car doing that or you could spend 20 minutes in an urban air taxi doing that and that's more regional uh, commuting if you wish and then there's also this other side of moving light packages or parcels as well as cargo from place to place and doing that with autonomous vehicles and so you know collectively all of that um, you know from small delivery drones up to big cargo uavs um, moving people in urban areas or regional areas, all of that collectively is what I, I think of as urban air mobility. So we know there's a lot of systems on the vehicle from propulsion to power, actuation, cooling, avionics, electronics, a lot goes into those vehicles. What would you say is going to make the biggest impact in making these vehicles a reality? So there's a, <clears throat> there's a lot of things. I'll, I'll call out two of them. Uh, one of the biggest ones is electrification, uh, electrification of the aircraft. So, you know, with the advance of battery technologies, um, you know, with the increasing energy densities of those batteries, you can now use electric motors to generate propulsion for flight. When you can now use electric motors, you don't need to have two big motors hanging off the wings. You can have many electric motors that are much smaller, just as efficient you know, that provide the propulsion. You can distribute your propulsion across multiple engines. And, you know, you you know, we've seen designs with, you know, six motors, 12 motors, even 36 motors, um, all distributed. And so th this provides the developer of the vehicle, you know, the freedom to, to really come up with, with new designs for aircraft, right? Uh, to have much higher levels of redundancy you know, if you've got 12 or 16 engines on a vehicle and one of them, you know, doesn't work for some reason, you still have seven or 15 other engines, right? That's much different than if you just have two engines. So you have much higher levels of redundancy, much lower noise, uh, much higher reliability. Each electric motor only has one moving part. Um, and oh, by the way, no emissions. So all those things become possible. Um, when you distribute the engines, right? You can now also look at novel aircraft designs that you know can tilt and and so you can take off vertically and then fly horizontally. So the ability to take off like a helicopter, fly like an airplane, um, that that's what opens up this whole this whole space. So at the root of all that is electrification. Another area that that is uh, very interesting and and sort of making a big impact is in the area of avionics the you know the ultimate vision for urban air taxis that move people around and the the immediate vision for moving cargo around is that these vehicles are autonomous that they do not have a pilot on board and for that to happen you have to have software that can really do a lot of the flying do a lot of the navigating um do a lot of the decision making that will eventually come up uh when you know when you're doing those flights and so you need software, avionics software, that can make that happen. So it's the combination of those two things that I think are two of the, the several many, many innovations that come together to make this happen. So in season one, we talked about urban air mobility. And the greatest concern then 
was really around safety. And as you talk about autonomous aircraft and electric power, are there any new developments regarding safety measures? So the, um, I think the development there is progressive, right? What, what's happening is as, um, as vehicle designers and systems designers such as ourselves progress in developing the technology and understanding you know, how we make it redundant, how we make it safe and so on, you know, as we do that as part of the ongoing engineering development, we progress the safety levels that, you know, that we're, we're going for. At the same time, the regulatory authorities, you know, like the, the FAA or EASA are becoming more, more mature and progressing uh, the kinds of regulations that define the levels of safety and, and what you have to meet. And so on both sides, we're making progress um, to, you know, to get to a point where, where things are, you know, equivalent level of safety as an airliner today. I mean, it sort of feels like there's a race to the flight. And um, how is the industry doing in terms of getting to a point where they can mass produce these kinds of aircraft? Yeah, so the, um, there, there's definitely a race. Uh, the race isn't, I mean, I think the race is a little bit more like a marathon race. Uh, there are definitely, you know, some people or some companies, let me say, that are, you know, earlier in terms of getting their vehicles flying. Um, you know, several several of them already have them flying, going through flight tests, uh, beginning to go through certification processes. Um, so there's definitely there's definitely that. There are some companies that are sort of, you know, taking the long view of the marathon, saying, well, you know, I'm not necessarily going to be first, but I'm going to be strategic, and so I make you know offer my my vehicle in, in a few years later but I'll have benefited from all of the learning and the regulation will be in place. And, you know, I see the market developing, you know, later rather than sooner or things like this. And so you have different people with different strategies as to how fast they want to go. Um, along those lines, one of the things that we've seen recently is, you know, initially it was the, you know, urban air taxi movement that really got a lot of the, you know, a lot of the attention that was really moving ahead and that continues, right? But, you know, sort of out of nowhere came the, these drone delivery trials that started where small drones were flying over to people's houses and dropping off, you know, small packages for them that they had bought online. And, you know, those were being running through trials and things like that, but it wasn't necessarily getting a whole lot of buzz. And with, with COVID and, you know, people having to stay at home and, you know, wanting to protect your delivery workers from unnecessary contact with others, delivery drones just sort of became the natural answer. And so where there were already trials, they just got a surge in demand for drone delivery. And that has catalyzed the awareness and the interest in the other side of what I call, you know, the grand definition of urban air mobility, which is delivery of parcels and cargo. And we've, so we've seen an acceleration both in small drones and even larger drones, you know, what we might call cargo UAVs. We've seen an acceleration of, of those programs as well. So it's actually quite an interesting time for this and, and, and to be a part of the race. So what do you think the largest hurdle is for a company trying to bring their product to life? Um, I would say that the largest hurdle is, I mean, there's a lot of hurdles uh, and depending which company they're different. I think everybody would say that, you know, regulation is a hurdle for them. And within that, um, you know, I would say two things. One is just knowing what the, what the rules are, right? What do I need to certify to so I can get certified if I'm making a vehicle? And secondly, making sure that those certification requirements are reasonable and appropriate for the kinds of vehicles that they're developing, right? And not just, you know, imposing 
uh, the same kind of requirements that might apply to large aircraft, you know, based on what those designs were, right? Um, so I'll, I'll give you an example of that, right? In in um, in traditional aircraft, there there are requirements around, you know, if a jet engine ingests a bird, and you know the engine, you know, has to be able to take that, and if you lose a blade on your turbine, you have to be able to contain it and and do all these other things, right? Um, which is all great for for that kind of aircraft. But if you move to an aircraft that has eight or twelve or thirty six different fans or propellers, and a bird hits one of them, it's not nearly as catastrophic necessarily, right? And so to impose a set of rules or regulations from from one type of aircraft to another, and then burden urban air taxi developers with with a whole set of requirements that are heavy for them, that's a challenge, right? And so hoping, you know, really hoping we get to the right set of regs that are appropriate, maintain levels of safety, but also don't uh, inhibit uh, innovation in the space. That that would be a big a, a big set of of hurdles that have to be overcome. So Honeywell obviously has decided this market is different and unique by appointing you as the vice president and general manager and standing up its own business. So what is different about this market and this aircraft and this the needs as opposed to our traditional air transport, business aviation, general aviation markets? Yeah. So uh, three things. This market is um, it's going to take several years to develop, right? This is not a 12-month outlook kind of a thing. This is a 10-year outlook kind of a thing, right? And so it takes that long focus with a dedicated and focused set of energy to to really make this opportunity happen, right? And and you want to make sure that you put it, you know, as much focus on that as you can, um, you know, and also you have to maintain your current day business. And if you know, and if you're if you're constantly pulled by the current day business, then it's always very easy to put off to tomorrow. You know, the, the thing that you have to do for the long term future, and then in doing that, you never actually do it, right? And so, in order to make sure that doesn't happen, you, you know, you you set up a dedicated entity, and you say your only job is the long term. There's nothing for you to have to worry about in the short term. So go do it, right? So that kind of focus. The, the speed that comes with being able to do that, that's a primary reason. A second reason is that urban air mobility cuts across everything that, that, that Honeywell Aerospace does. Um, it has avionics, it has propulsion systems, it has mechanical systems, it cuts across all of them. And so if you were to put our business within any one of our strategic business units, then that particular business unit would clearly understand, you know, that business and emphasize that. And, and then the other aspects of the technologies might not get as much focus. By putting this on its own and it, what it does, is it gives equal footing, equal emphasis to all of the different technologies that Honeywell has and applies them, you know, brings them together, marshals them, integrates them into the solutions that are, you know, suited for urban air mobility. Then uh, the last reason is, you know, the nature of our customers. Um, the, you know, I said that this was a highly disruptive space. And one of the ways that you see that is you see a lot of new entrants, new companies that are forming, you know, startup companies that are being, that are, you know, creating, that are, have new ideas on, on how to design a vehicle, how to build a vehicle. And these companies don't necessarily know or have experience or relationships. You know, how do you how do you engage with a large aerospace company such as Honeywell? And so, by giving them a single place that they can call, 
and be like, look, if you're developing a cargo UAV or, you know, an urban air taxi or whatever, and you don't know how to engage with Honeywell, here's one phone number or one email address you can use to get started with us. And you know, you'll deal with a dedicated business unit that can, you know, work with you to, you know, get your vision turned into reality. And then whatever other resources within Honeywell Aero are required, we know how to navigate that to bring that to you. So when it comes to products, how are the products that we're offering on an urban air mobility platform different from that of a traditional aircraft? So in the in the traditional aerospace business, you know, from you know in the in the business jet category and other similar categories, we provide you know jet fuel powered turbine engines, right? Here we're offering electric propulsion systems based on electric motors and hybrid electric propulsion systems. Okay, so that right there is a, is, is a big evolution, a big difference in what we're doing in the avionics uh, world. In the in you know regular traditional avionics, we offer avionics that are intended to be used um, by pilots in the cockpit who know how to fly the air the aircraft and that use our avionics systems to to fly the aircraft. Um, in the urban air mobility world, you know we are offering avionics that you know, may not presume a professional pilot in the cockpit or even any pilot. It might be fully unmanned, right? Or it might be, you know, manned by a, let's call him an operator. You know, he's not a commercial pilot, a lot less skill and training than that. He more supervises the flight than actually flies the aircraft. And so the the interfaces that you have, you know, the UIs, the the way you control things, the amount of information you display, what the guy can actually do, all that is going to be much, much, much simpler and reduced versus what we might do for general aviation or uh, or bus- business aviation, for example. And so that's very different. Uh, another another one would be if you look at what we do in air and thermal systems, right? We do thermal cooling systems for big aircraft and, and things like that. Um, you know, and, and now we're taking some of that and shrinking it down and making it so that it is light and um, and, and appropriate for smaller vehicles like an urban air taxi. And we're using it there, for example, to not necessarily cool the cabin, which, yes, of course we would, but also things say to, to cool the batteries, right? Um, and so battery cooling as part of propulsion is something that's, that's, that's also new for us compared to what we might do on the other side of, of the business. Okay. So assuming our conversation back to safety, assuming we're also looking at technologies like detect and avoid technologies? Yeah. And how would that be crucial? Yes, yeah. So if you think about, uh, let me start from the point of view of a pilot, right, flying a regular airplane, uh, and it could be any kind of airplane from, you know, a business jet down to a small general aviation aircraft. That pilot has a primary responsibility to look out and spot other traffic and avoid that other traffic, okay? But if there's no pilot on board, who does that? And so that question is a big question, right? And unless you have an answer to that question, um, you know, the, the airspace regulars have said, well, you really can't fly. Or maybe we'll let you fly, but you got to fly within the visual range of somebody on the ground who is operating the vehicle and can be the eyes to spot the traffic, you know, from the ground. Well, that's okay, except it really limits how far you can fly, right? And so doing things like package delivery across the city is not practical. So you need new kinds of sensors and new kinds of algorithms that can spot that traffic and then can plot the course to, to move around the traffic and avoid the collision. So detect the traffic and avoid the traffic. 
And so you need, you know, there's various sensor technologies that can be used for that. Clearly Honeywell is doing a lot of work in that area. And then there's the algorithms that process, you know, the, you know, the traffic that you see, the, you know, the other aircraft and say, you know what, here's the route we're going to take to avoid, you know, encountering that traffic. And so all that's very important when you don't have a skilled pilot on board that is looking out for other aircraft and making sure to avoid them. So how do those technologies impact the drone delivery industry? So with, uh, with drone delivery, and, and by this what I mean obviously is the delivery of small packages via small drones, you know, the, you know the, the, those drones are flying in airspace and so they, they have the same requirement to be able to detect and avoid other traffic, right? Whether it's another drone trying to take pictures of it or, or, or who knows what, as well as obstacles. Uh, and so you need sensors and algorithms that can do that. So, you know, Honeywell is, you know, is, is a leader in, in radars of various kinds, and we're developing radars that are, you know, small and light and inexpensive and that are, you know, tailored to high resolution, um, you know, detection of, you know, obstacles and traffic at short distances and, and using those or putting those on small drones to enable them to go beyond the line of sight. And so, you know, we're working with various operators that are, you know, trialing or, or running drone delivery operations as part of their logistics or, or, you know, delivery business and, you know, working with them to take drone delivery and be able to use that as a core part of their delivery mechanism, being able to deliver packages at, you know, at, at medium distances without having to have somebody right there looking at the drone. So are there any other key technologies and avionics specifically that are unique to this market? So within the field of avionics, if we sort of drill down a little bit into some of the, you know, some of the subcomponents that are unique, the, so we talked a little bit about the, the interface between the pilot and the vehicle or the pilot and the avionics system. And in the case of, a, of an operator who is going to be operating, say, an urban air taxi vehicle, you want that display to be very, very simplified as compared to what we, what we would normally see in the cockpit of, say, a business jet, right? So, for example, as opposed to a, you know, seeing a complicated flight plan as we might be used to it, you might see turn by turn directions that are very similar to what you might have in your car when you use, you know, your, your favorite mobile app, maps application to, you know, get directions somewhere. So let me put it this way. Your, your flight plan might look a lot like your driving directions. Okay. So making things simple is, is one thing. So the user interface design is, is, is different, right? That's one thing. A second thing would be, you know, in technical terms, what we call the, the control laws, which is, you know, the, the algorithms that control how that vehicle flies. Uh, and to make the contrast with existing uh, aircraft, with existing aircraft, right, you know, if I take a hold of the yoke or the stick, I can make that aircraft do pretty much anything I want it to do. If I want to turn it upside down, I can um, whether I meant to or whether it was an accident, you know, all that freedom of motion is, 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 is okay. In the urban air mobility environment, you know, we're looking at avionic systems that don't let you do that, right? You know, you, the, the aircraft is flying level and it's flying a certain direction. And if you, you know, try to, you know, make it go in, you know, in a bank that is more than, than what you, you know, what, what we want, it's just not going to do it. It's not just going to nudge you back and say, you know, no, 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 don't go there. It's just not going to let you do it, right? So that's a second area where where we're doing things that are that are very, very different. And then, you know, a third area is uh, what we call fly by wire. So as opposed to having, 
you know, levers and pulleys and cables um, that control the ailerons and the rudder of a traditional aircraft. We have electrical wires and small servos that might control the surfaces and, and other parts of that urban air taxi vehicle to make it, you know, to make it fly. And so fly-by wires, you know, not something you would typically see uh, for sure in general aviation. And so this is, but, but you would almost in 100% of the cases in urban air mobility. Okay. So I think something that everybody would want to know is when will we see these flying taxis? The, I think, and you know, I, I'd hate to be forecasting the future here. I, I think you will begin to see, you know, flight trials, public flight trials within next to, you know, three years or so. Um, and I think you'll see potentially real vehicles in the sky carrying real paying passengers at some point in the, let's say, 2023 to 2026 timeframe. Let's, let's put it there. As when you first start seeing real, you know, real vehicles flying real people. Uh, there have been a, a few trials with some smaller urban air vehicles that only take two passengers. There's been a few trials of those in various parts of the world. So if you live there, you may have seen them. Uh, but I think in the main, you'll, you'll see it in, that in the time frame I, I mentioned. So have you personally gotten to see any fly? Uh, not yet. Um, I'm raising my hand and volunteering very enthusiastically to do it. Okay, so I'm not going to ask you if you are uh, going to participate in the industry once it's available. Participate in the industry in terms of being a passenger? Yes, absolutely. Sounds like you're all in. Oh, I absolutely will. I was, uh, I was speaking with one of the leaders in urban air taxi companies right now. Um, and you know, we were just having a, a regular catch-up call and, and we got on, on the topic of their flight test program. And I said, you know, you let me know when your vehicle's flying. I, I want to be on there. And he, and he generously offered, fine, we'll make you part of the flight test program. So it may happen more quickly for me than I thought. Great. I was going to ask you, so how does it feel to be involved in such a like new and exciting industry? Uh, this is great. This feels great. This for me has been a, a culmination of many things. You know, I told you I, I spent, you know, half my career in software, half my career in aerospace. And when I had my startup, it was all around concepts of what we now call simplified vehicle operations and autonomy and things like that. And so, you know, this whole field brings both of those together because it's a software driven set of vehicles that are coming out. And so for me, that's fantastic. Um, seeing the innovation and the new ideas that people are coming up with and the different shapes and sizes of the vehicles we're seeing is also very exciting. Um, working with people who have no preconceived notion of how something should be. You know, half the innovators that we work with do not come from aerospace. They come from, from other, other venues. I mean, we talked to people that came out of Silicon Valley companies. We talked to people that did come out of aero companies. We've talked to, you know, we, one team that we talked to, their heritage was in Formula One racing, right? Um, and it had nothing to do with aerospace. And yet they have very interesting ideas and, and are a serious, viable, you know, contender. And so the ability to, you know, interact with people that come from very different venues, very, you know, very different set of experiences, new ideas on, on, on how to do things, that is very, very exciting. So I guess, Stefana, I would ask, do you think that, all of these new ideas and this new industry, is it going to change the industry we already know? Yes. As aerospace? Okay. Yes, absolutely. I believe it will. And I believe it will in, in, in a couple ways. You know, one way is it's just going to create a whole new segment, right? With a whole, all sorts of advances and, and that right there will change everything. But secondly, a lot of the things that are happening in this space will, will you know, find their way back into all of the aircraft that, we, that exist today. Right. So, you know, in general aviation, I mean, who wouldn't want a simpler airplane to fly? Right. 
um, in, you know, business jets and airliners, you know, you know, there's always talk about, you know, can I make this thing autonomous? Can I make this thing fly with, you know, less pilots? Um, you know, what can I do to make it safer? Can, you know, all these kinds of things that, you know, this will permeate back across every segment in aerospace that, that there is. So, yes, I, I think it's um, the kind of, of, of innovation that, you know, it, it leads in one place and then it ripples through and benefits everybody else. Well, very cool. Um, so again, thank you for joining us today. And uh, this is Aerospace Unplugged. We always ask, how do you unplug at the end of the day? <laughs> how do I unplug at the end of the day? Um, well, I go fly an airplane, my airplane, <laughs> uh, or I go to the gym and I work out. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Sure. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Aerospace Unplugged. Again, I'm your host, Carrie Sinclair. If you'd like more information on urban air mobility, please visit us online at aerospace.honeywell.com slash urban-air-mobility. And don't forget to subscribe to Aerospace Unplugged on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to us right now. This episode was produced and edited by Chloe Dake.